Blog Talk Radio. Championship Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on our new night and our new time. And uh, I'm Terry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, manning the uh, controls back at our mobile studio. We are celebrating national championship number 16 for the University of Alabama football program, which had an epic 24-point fourth quarter to defeat the Clemson Tigers 45-40 to before a worldwide audience in Arizona Monday night. And, Drew DeArmond, I'll bring you in immediately. Uh, the fourth quarter, and specifically the decision to go for the onside kick by Nick Saban that was recovered by Marwin Humphrey off a perfect pooch from Adam Griffith, certainly one of the epic calls in the history of Alabama's football program. It certainly was, Kerry. Um, yeah, to me, it proved why Nick Saban's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, he had the best read for his team of anyone. Though they, uh, you know, they had just given up a touchdown uh, to get there. They were and uh, and had uh, kicked a field goal to tie the game at 24, but were really having trouble stopping Deshaun Watson, who put on one of the all-time bowl performances. And he knew the defense was gassed, and uh, really that the team needed a spark overall. And, it was a perfect call. Uh, it was one that had not been executed well in practice, but Adam Griffith and Marlon Humphrey uh, together uh, executed it perfectly, uh, and it caught everyone off guard, including Jake Coker. I think maybe Nick Saban, Bobby Williams, and Adam Griffith and uh, Marlon and those guys on the special teams, they were the only ones that knew. Uh, I don't think the defense knew the offense. Uh, definitely Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, and, of course, Dabo, uh, had a meltdown, and he, he thought that they he, his team should have the opportunity to catch the football, but the thing is there was no one on that side of the field for that opportunity. And uh, it was just a perfect call at the perfect time, and and it really went a long way toward winning the football game. And really Bobby Williams, who's taken a ton of criticism, Kerry, and some of it rightly so, but he uh, his, his it was the, maybe the best day in, the, in his life as far as coaching because he, uh, he his, his position group had the MVP of the game, and really, his special teams won the game. So, uh, what a night for the Crimson Tide! And, uh, and that, they they've proven a point. Nick Saban bringing in Lane Kiffin two years ago. Uh, you know, a lot of people talked about the defense having to adjust to spread teams and speed ball. Well, Saban also adjusted by bringing in an offensive coordinator that's now going to go down with Homer Smith, pretty much as a genius after what has transpired. And uh, they've learned to outscore some of these. Uh, uh, you know, high scoring and high, high, high. Uh, you know, those potent offenses. And getting back to something that you touched on briefly, as I sit here in my newly arrived black and gold Nike One as One Crimson and uh, Championship T-shirt just came in today. Uh, barely fits, but hey, it fits. Uh, O.J. Howard. We can take his name off of the milk cartons as far as missing in action for the better part of three seasons. He had a breakout performance, two touchdowns. 
over 200 yards receiving, a great, great, great game for O.J. Howard. And now what people are waiting on is tomorrow afternoon's 2 o'clock press conference. Uh, a lot of guys have said they're coming back already, and we have pretty good information that Derrick Henry and Sean Robinson are leaving. So that basically, Drew, leaves Jonathan Allen and O.J. Howard as the mystery men as to whether or not they'll have chairs in the room tomorrow when Nick Saban convenes the media at 2 o'clock at the Alabama football complex. They will, and uh, from all indications, uh, I believe there's a very strong chance both will return to Alabama. I know the coaches have been adamant that they want O.J. to return, and they think he can improve his draft stock and become a better blocker, despite what Murph Baldwin said on my show this week about continuing the, the narrative about him being a good blocker. Uh, as, as outstanding as he was in the game as a receiver, and it was one of the all-time performances. Uh, the, his uh, his uh, blocking in the running game was pretty much on the uh, at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, he struggled in that area. He needs to get stronger. needs to get more consistent. He had a breakout performance, but he needs to use that as a springboard to return instead of going to the NFL. I'm not convinced he'd be a second-round pick. That's a possibility. I think it would be more along the third and the fourth round grade when they start breaking down the film uh, of uh, and when he has to work out and as far as uh, show how, how strong he is in the weight room. I just think overall he still needs some refinement. Uh, John Allen is the one that could end up joining the other two, though. I have heard throughout uh, that there was a, a, a bigger chance of him returning than anything else. I know we're going to have Rodney Orr on at the end of this hour, and we can uh, get his take on things. He's also reported the same thing. He was hearing that there was a much better chance that he would return. But I think it would be uh, an unbelievable coup for Alabama. They've already uh, received word that Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, and Eddie Jackson. And, of course, you can't jump off to conclusions. There was a report yesterday that Eddie Jackson was going to leave. was not true. So, And everything I had heard was that Eddie was returning. Reuben Foster looks to be returning as well. So, Hopefully the Crimson Tide uh, can come out of this thing uh, with, the t- I think, two early entrants. And both of them, uh, you cannot blame those young men. Uh, Derrick Henry's proven everything he can prove. And then, obviously, uh, to me, Ashawn Robinson is a slam dunk first-rounder. But, I mean, there's even been rumors of Ashawn coming back, but I just don't really think that's going to happen. So we will see. But I think uh, the other two young men, there's a there's a very solid chance they could return. Well, and, and Allen is projected by Mel Kuyper as the number 19 pick in the first round. If that's accurate – I think he'll go. I guess we'll find out on that one tomorrow. I, I think O.J. will be back myself, but we'll see. Uh, you definitely get, get – and, and Reuben Foster hasn't come out and said anything yet, but we've got some decent sources that think he's coming back. And uh, you, it's going to be a busy night tonight on BAMS Radio. As, as Drew mentioned, uh, end of this hour, we're going to hear from Rodney Orr of Tyler Insider. Uh, and in only about maybe 10 more minutes, we're going to hear from Chris Walsh, a longtime uh, writer that's been covering Alabama since the Shuba days. And uh, next hour, we'll hear from Paige Hockman, and also, uh, we'll hear a recorded interview that Drew did yesterday with uh, William Redfish Barger. But first, on the Asian Rim Hotline, uh, you can call us at 714-510-3707 if you're listening live. We're going to bring on our first caller of the night, and I know he won't be our last, but he is one of our favorites. Bring the pain. You're on BAMS Radio with Kerry, Drew, and Thomas. What's going on, guys? Roll Tide, bring the pain. I hope you enjoyed the national championship game, my friend. I hope it didn't uh, take... Too many. Uh, it didn't uh, drive you too uh, too crazy and uh, make your nerves as uh, as uh, basically as, as and fray your nerves as much as it did us. But uh, you know, none none of us were in Arizona, but 
it was one of the best uh, national championship games I've ever had the, uh, the the pleasure of witnessing. Just thank goodness that the Tide found a way to come out on top. I agree with you, Road Tide, to y'all too. Yeah, I believe last night was one of the best uh, championship five games ever seen. Texas and USC when Texas came from behind and beat them. But, uh, you know, from me and a friend of mine was talking, and he said that we were scared of Clemson. That's why we done that onside kick that Nick Saban wouldn't have never done anything like that. And, I'm like, oh, come on now. The score was tied. We was the first one that pulled a trick out of the bag because Debo Sweeney would have probably done the same thing. But so that being said, I heard uh, y'all talking about people returning. Uh, I think January's gonna come back. Cause if y'all would have heard, if y'all, uh, he gave a few hints. And one of them was at the Heisman ceremony. When he told the two guys sitting in the front row, Watson and McCaffrey, when he said that y'all see him again there again next year. So uh, I kind of, I kind of believe he's he not, will, he's not even thinking about coming back. He's not. Yeah, unfortunately, pain. He's proven everything he can, and he, you know, he set all-time SEC records for carries, uh, yards in a season, touchdowns. Broke the Alabama career rushing record really in a year and a half when you think about it. And he, uh, he's he's moving on, and that's the way it is with running backs. And they have a short shelf life, and you can't really blame Derrick Henry. He, he won the Heisman. He won the Maxwell Award. He won the Doak Award. He he has nothing left to accomplish at Alabama, and we just wish him all the luck in the world. And he's the second Heisman Trophy winner in the history of the program, and both of them won national championships. And you just really can't blame him for uh, moving on. I don't think. Well, we thank you yeah, for calling, uh, but he definitely is not coming back, and uh, Ashawn Robinson is not coming back. What we're waiting to find out is about Jonathan Allen and OJ Howard. But we do thank you for calling uh, Bams Radio. We'll go ahead and bring on our next caller. Uh, and this next caller of uh, listeners was at the ball game. He he made the flight out there. He, he was at the semifinal game in Dallas, and he was at the finals out in Glendale. I want to bring on my good friend Jared from Southside. Uh, Jared, first of all, roll tide, and secondly, uh, tell us what it was like to be in that stadium Monday night. Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, but Clemson did have a little bit more of a fan base and everything out there uh, with us. But I mean, it, it was just great, and I'm. Um, that onside kick, um, that was, um, I mean, that really changed the whole game. And it was the craziest play at the timing of the game that I've ever seen in watching Alabama football in my life. I'm kicking that onside kick like that. Just the gutsiest call under so much pressure in the tie ball game to do that. Well, you've been an Alabama fan for a, lot, a, lot, a long time, uh, you know, over 30 years for sure. What was it like for you as someone who has supported the program for all those years to actually be there in the stadium, watch that confetti 
come down and watch that trophy be lifted up and Nick Saban leading the team to the 16th national championship? Well, it was great. You know, I've been to all four national championship games, but this one was just so special because it was such a close game. It was it was the two best teams in the country. Clemson, it was no doubt, one or two. You know, Alabama was one or two. Both of these teams were the best teams. They're both better than Ohio State. They're both better than um, than uh, Stanford, or they're better than um, you know Michigan State. I mean, it was just. Um, it was two. It was the two best teams going. I mean, it could have gone either way. Um, it's just uh, both teams really wanted it. I mean, you know, just um, it was. Uh, I have no nothing but great respect. I mean, Kent, Clemson. They came in there. They have nothing to be ashamed of. They played their hearts out, and just in the end, you know, experience. And, uh, you know, just um, uh, saving, making the right calls at the right time. It went. It, it, luckily, it went our way. And I mean, you know, it just. Um, it was. It was. It was such a great game. I mean, it was a shame for whoever had to lose that game, the way that game was played at 45-40. to 40. Um, But, I mean, it was the best, uh, probably, hopefully, it might be the best national championship game I'll ever see. Well, we got Drew DeArmond with us, too. He's kind of our recruiting expert here on BAMS Radio. Have you got any recruiting questions for Drew, Jared? Well, I was wanting to see, you know, I, I expect that we'll finish pretty well. You know, I was wondering why that kid, that linebacker from um, Ulee, um, you know, had uh, decommitted and opened up his recruitment and just um, was wanting to see, you know, I mean, I expect we should finish pretty well with several players going to go going pro and, you know, and stuff like that, where that can open up some playing time for some of these freshmen because a lot of freshmen got some good playing time and were, uh, were made some standouts for themselves this year and helping us win this national championship and just wanting to see um, how y'all think we finish. It doesn't, I don't know if we'll finish in a number one class, but I hope it, the main thing is, is uh, I hope that we can uh, get what we need, you know, to uh, add more depth, you know, just maybe a running back um, receiver, um, definitely get some more DBs in there. And I'm just wanting to see on who y'all think of, we have a chance to do uh, you know, what the crystal ball is going to say and who will, what, what, we'll finish with well you know first of all jerry that's kind of hard right now because there's so many moving parts i mean the landscape changed this afternoon uh no doubt uh with the two hires by nick saban off the field uh uh you know the 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 hire from the georgia staff sam patino or patito uh from uh, louisiana he's connected to shy shyam carter closely so alabama may have renewed optimism in the Shaheem Carter situation, though he'd been, uh, you know, committed to Alabama in the past. Uh, and uh, he, I know many thought he would end up either Georgia or Ole Miss. Ole Miss had a lot of momentum. But that hire today, uh, you uh, and you already saw his uh, the, the junior, uh, Devonta Smith, uh, decommit from Georgia. Uh, and uh, he's uh, from Louisiana, and he'd been uh, uh, with Petito, and, and uh, he'd been closely uh, linked to him. So the and then also with Shyam Carter and Josh Perry and Josh Perry is already committed to Alabama. You could see yeah. Shyam Carter now end up back in the fold. So and then Otis Yelverton uh, was officially named to the staff. Known about that about a week and a half, two weeks, and he's closely uh, associated with Nick Coe, who's a defensive line commit with Auburn right now from the Asheville, North Carolina area. But he's heavily sought after uh, by the Tide staff now, and Bo Davis really likes him a lot and. So that could affect those two young men significantly uh, with what happened today. And then, of course, they have an official visitor on campus right now, Jack Jones.
from Long Beach Poly, who would probably be the top corner on their board, but it's going to be tough to get away from Southern Cal and UCLA. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to get their best uh, shot uh, with it because, uh, of course, Tosh Lupoy staying at Alabama is close uh, with him. So we'll see how that official visit goes. But uh, it's really going to be a tough situation. But uh, I think they're going to continue to swing for the fences. And overall, I'm not worried about this class. I think it, the, the difference is the hay's been in the barn except for four or five pieces the last several years over the final you know, two to three recruiting weekends. This year it's probably 10 to 11, 12 guys could be added, about you know nearly half the class. So, uh, But I, they're, they're – going to be able to fill no doubt about it. I think Devon Pennymon and then, of course, the yard, Amir Rasul, the two running backs. Rasul will be in this weekend. I think you need to watch those guys. And I really think that uh, Jonathan Kongbo is someone to watch. Uh, he will be visiting on the 22nd. He, he's from Arizona Western Junior College, somebody Alabama covets very much. And I think uh, – but, uh, again, it's it's – Alabama, they still have to add the inside linebackers, coach. You know, they're still in the, there's a, some candidates being mentioned, but no one's been hired. I still think by this weekend that could be in place. But it's a very good recruiting staff, and I think overall everyone's going to be very pleased uh, with how this class ends. I think it'll be slam dunk top three, if not uh, number one overall at the end. All right, cool. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be number one just as long as we have what we need to fill our needs. And, and that, I'm happy and satisfied with that. For sure, but I mean, you know, regard. I was wanting to say again about the trip and everything. Um, the, the Clemson people were very nice, very respectful people. You know, I was just saying, doing nothing but saying nothing but great things about Dabo Sweeney out there. That we're happy for him, and you know, I don't know if he'll be our uh, future coach with us or not. But I mean, you know, but it was just such a great game. I mean, you know, it was just it was a lot of intense, and um, you know, I'm just I'm glad I saw it. And, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, it, it had to have been a great win. It was a hard Well, Jared, yeah. thank you so much for calling us tonight on BAMS Radio. we got our next guest coming up on the Asian Rim Hotline. But before I let Drew introduce him, remember that Asian Rim at the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama, just off 280, has got you covered as far as Valentine's Day. It's right around the corner. You can call 205-490-1444 to make reservations, or you can go online and use the Open Table app. Uh, if, if dining in is, is more your take, uh, that's great. If not, they can uh, prepare you a to-go uh, Valentine's Day dinner. You can go by and pick it up and take it home and light your own candles. Again, that number to call is 205-490-1444, the Asian Rim, just off 280 in Birmingham at the Colonnade. And with that said, on the Asian Rim hotline, uh, our first official guest of the evening, after a couple of good callers, is a first-time guest to the show, uh, a gentleman that I've shared many press boxes with over the last decade or so. And I'm going to let Drew DeArmond go ahead and introduce this fellow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're honored to be joined by someone that's been a long time, over a decade covering the Crimson Tide. He is a veteran of the beat. Uh, even before Nick Saban joined the staff, he's written many books about the Tide. He's covered professional football. He is what I'd call a sports savant. He's very good. He's also wrote for the University of Alabama in many of their publications. He's right now currently the Alabama beat writer for the Bleacher Report and is set to release yet another book called Sweet 16, which is soon to hit newsstands. The cover with Jake Coker on it looks spectacular on his Twitter feed, but it is uh, we are greatly honored to be joined by. He was with BamaOnline.com and then before that the Tuscaloosa News and a Saturday Down South, now Bleacher Report, and that is Christopher Walsh. Chris Walsh, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm fine. How are you guys? 
Good. Doing well, sir. And uh, we, we we really thank you for joining us. And I know uh, you've been on many journeys of with Nick Saban and his program over his entire tenure. And uh, you get you, of course, you're writing a book on this journey. But uh, to me, this was probably of the four the most fun because of how far this team came. But just kind of categorize it, Chris, and what your thoughts are on the season as a whole. Well, you know, I mean, from a, a, a title game perspective, I thought it was. Uh, you know, better than the other three put together, um, just in terms of sheer excitement. And, um, you know, I mean, I was sitting there like so many other people with about 11 minutes to go going, holy cow, they might lose this game, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And then, you know, then there's an onside kick and it's like, holy cow. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to kind of, uh, categorize, the, the four titles because they, it, in some ways they were very similar in some ways they were just extremely different. And, and, you know, I mean, you're talking your bread and butter of, um, you know, with Alabama of really terrific defense, run the ball, you know, um, in, in that respect, especially statistically, the, the teams are very similar, but uh, the personalities are, are very different and, and how the teams kind of came together uh, are also very different. And this one, I, I think that is what makes this one just kind of stand out on its own. It's just the way that, you know, we kind of came into the season and we're getting a couple games into it and things, you know, I mean, they were good, but you kind of wondered if, if this team really had what it what it took and, and then lost to Ole Miss. And just to see the way that it came together and, and, and the defense just, you know, cranked it up a notch and Derrick Henry developed and, you know, you had so many guys kind of step up and, and, and into their own. And um, for the book, um, Eli Gold actually wrote the forward for it. And, you know, he he kind of said, you know, he, he kind of used the term grow up. And uh, I, <laughs> I think he I think he was just dead on, you know, just it's it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Chris, uh, Kerry Clark here. We also I also want to thank you personally for joining us tonight. We're very thrilled to have you here on BAMS Radio. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the other books that you've written prior to this one. I know you've got several out on the shelves at this point, and just kind of let our listeners know what those books are, specifically the ones that have to do with Bama football. Well, um, the the two that they'll know the best, hopefully, are uh, 100 Things Crimson Tide Fans Should No One Do Before They Die, which has been my bestseller, and actually we're we're talking about maybe doing an update again, which we've already done one. But, you know, they, this darn team, they keep winning national championships. I mean, it's, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and then uh, the other one that they that, that hopefully a lot of them know is the one I did. Um, it came out uh, actually last year, uh, which was Nick Saban versus college football, which was trying to pinpoint, you know, where exactly Nick Saban already is in, in, a, in a historical sense. Uh, and that one was kind of, uh, kind of different because, my my book publisher, I I, I deal I, I work with Triumph Books, which is the biggest sports publishing house in the nation, and um, they actually they they called me um, when we were down in Miami for the national championship right before they played Notre Dame, and and they were hey you know we did this book a, a couple of years ago on on Tom Brady, you know on is he the best quarterback in, in NFL history, do you think he could do the same thing with Nick Saban? And my my initial reaction was, no, I can't, because, you know, the Bear Bryant's the best, 
best coach in college football history. But what I said was, you know, I bet I could make the case that if there was a Mount Rushmore of, of coaches that, um, you know, Nick Samuel would already be on it. And they were like, oh, that's great, that's great, you know. And, and it was funny because, and the reason why I'm kind of bringing it up and, and drawing it out a little bit right now is that after doing all the research, I came to the conclusion that Saban was in the top four of all time in my mind, but if he won another national championship, you can you could start the argument, you could start the debate on who's who's the best coach all time between Nick Saban and Bear Bryant. And now that he's won it, um, actually that's a column I have coming up for for Bleacher Report on Monday. It's uh, you can pretty much just go one and one a between the two of them at this point. And Chris, I was going to ask that. I, in your mind, now that he's won five and four at Alabama in seven years, uh, I, we were having this debate. I was on another show yesterday in Tuscaloosa about uh, well, how, who would you rank as the, the the top of all time. I prefer just to say Alabama's fortunate to have had, in my opinion, the two greatest to ever done it. But with, since Coach Saban is, in my opinion, going to coach several more seasons, a handful of seasons, He's not done winning national championships, in my opinion. Even though I'm, you know, I think he can add another uh, title or two uh, during his tenure in Tuscaloosa. I think he's going to end up being the greatest of all time. And, I, and, I, and everyone knows how revered Coach Bryan is. But in this modern era of football, with uh, the social media aspect and the, and the limited scholarships and the propensity of young men to leave early for the NFL, what he's done is remarkable. And I just wanted to know what your take on it is. And this will probably be a book for you, uh, maybe your next project. But what what is your take on – do you think Nick Saban is going to eventually eclipse Coach Bryant? Well, yeah, I, I think I think they're neck and neck right now. I think if, if Saban wins another national championship, I think it's pretty much a slam dunk at that point because, uh, you know, it's it, – and, and, I'm, and I'm talking about from an achievement and things that have been accomplished from, from that standpoint – because if you, if you want to talk about, um, you know, iconic stature and historical impact, uh, it's Bryant, you know, and, and because it, and I don't think there's really too much a Nick Saban can do in that respect. But, uh, you know, I, I'll give you a couple of interesting stats that will kind of show you the difference of how much it's changed and how much tougher it is for Saban to win right now. Um, this year, Alabama played nine teams that were ranked, at you know, at the time of – of the games that is the most of any team that's ever won a national championship lsu under last miles they played 18 that that had the record before this there were two of those teams that bear bryant had where they only played one ranked team the entire season um the most that his teams ever played was five so that kind of puts that in perspective um another stat that a lot of people haven't been talking about this is the eighth straight year that Alabama has been ranked number one at some point of the season. That's also a record. Um, you know, and I mean, I could sit there and go on and on and on, but uh, just from, you know, just the, the, the players going into the NFL, the, the recruiting that he's doing, uh, what he's done is, is really unparalleled. We've, uh, we've never seen this really. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, his recruiting classes have been so good. It's almost like when, when Army during World War II was able to recruit players from other schools and they just loaded up. Um, it, it's, it's almost on that level. And, and, you know, I heard you guys talking when I came on about, you know, this year's recruiting class. And, and I don't know if Alabama's going to finish number one, but it's going to be in the top three. I can almost guarantee you that. 
It will, Chris. And uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question now that has absolutely zero to do with Alabama football, but it does have <laughs> to do with the city of Tuscaloosa. It does have to do with a champion who is 35 and 0 and defending his crown tomorrow night in Brooklyn. Because Christopher Walsh, you are the oh, first geez. caller in the history of BAMS Radio that has been in the boxing ring with Deontay Wilder. Back when you were the Tuscaloosa News, I guess you were hard up for a story, and you volunteered, uh, probably against your better judgment, to do a little sparring with Deontay at Sky Boxing <laughs> down in Tuscaloosa. Tell our listeners briefly how that story unfolded and uh, actually how bad the pain was. Well, um, it's it's going to have to be briefly because that's how long I was in the ring with him. <laughs> briefly. Um uh, yeah, I'll try to tell it as, as as short as I can. Uh, the the genesis of the story, at the time I was kind of doing a series on trying different sports. Like I, I got in a, in, a, in a batter's box and faced an Alabama softball pitcher. I played in the tennis tournament in, in Tuscaloosa that's called the Wimbledon of Tuscaloosa. Um, I, I tried yoga for the first time. And, and then I would write about what these you know experiences were like. And I came up with this. the The real thing for the story was um, I wanted to I wanted to train in Deontay Wilder's gym for a few days, and I wanted to learn everything I could about boxing. And the idea was I was going to do it for a week. Well, a week turned into about twenty seconds. It was uh, we're going to show you how to throw a punch, and then we're going to throw you in the ring with him. And it was during one of his workouts. He had been he had been working out for a couple of hours. So he had his game face on. He was worked up and everything. And uh, the short version was they were like, okay, we're going to have you spar first. And they told Deontay at the, you know, try, you know, I was wearing like one of those, those leather helmets that they kind of do to, to train with. And they were like, you know, hit him in the helmet. And we kind of looked at each other for about six, five, six seconds, and we're kind of dancing around. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to throw a punch. And, you know, to be honest, because I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing in that sport, I, I, I went to throw the punch and I leaned in. And when I leaned in, he threw a jab, like at the exact same moment. So he missed where he was aiming for, and he hit me dead in the face. Um, and it was just this big white flash, and I went down. And, you know, I immediately said I was done. I was like, that's it. And, um, you know, I never kind of like, like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have you chase him around the ring and throw punches and he won't throw one. And I was like, no, I am done. And I didn't know it at the point at that time, though, but he, uh, um, well, a couple weeks later, I was at the doctor for something else. And he was kind of giving me a hard time for being an idiot, which actually that was the lead of my column was I'm an idiot. And he was kind of, you know, we were talking about it and I had a black eye and my top lip had been numb for like two weeks. And I mentioned it to him and he said, Oh, I bet you, you, you broke your orbital bone. And I was like, okay, well, what do we do? And he was just like, we could do all the tests and everything, but without doing, you know, there's really not a lot we can do. We kind of have to let it heal on its own. So, you know, let it go. And eventually the black eye went away. And, and, uh, this last year I was actually, um, I went and saw a specialist because um, I had been having some trouble um, and uh, I kept getting sick with um, sinus infections. And 
he diagnosed me with a deviated septum and they went and they fixed it and they came out and he asked my wife if I had ever been in a car accident or something involving head trauma. And she said, no, just, you know, the time he got in the ring with Deontay Wilder. And it turns out it wasn't one fracture. When he hit me, he, he it was multiple fractures, and it actually closed off one of my sinus cavities. And that's why I've been getting sick for, for the last three years. So uh, that's the long story. And I do not recommend that anyone ever, ever get in a ring with Deontay Wilder for any reason at all. Wow, that is quite a story. <laughs> that just shows how powerful a heavyweight champion of the world can be one just one jab that's unbelievable uh and i have mm-hmm. to admit I, I don't think there's any way i could ever get in the ring with deontay wilder I, I would be that'd be petrifying but chris i wanted to ask you too i know there's been a lot made of this and a story was broken today by brett mcmurphy about lane kiffin and turning down ucla in preparations for the national championship game it looks as though he will return uh, for his third season though the nfl still needs to be monitored in this situation, but of all the, we know Nick Saban has had to, you know, he has never, he has not come back in nine years with the same coaching staff. He always has had to make changes in his staff during his tenure at Alabama. Do you think, and of course, Jim McElwain had a great run, but do you think Lane Kiffin has been his most significant hire? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think they, I don't think there's any doubt they would not have gotten to where they got th- this year without Lane Kiffin. I, I think it's, pretty remarkable what he's done you know these last two years with you know Blake Sims uh, turning in into a quarterback basically with an entirely different offensive system and going to the playoffs and then this year you know once again they're starting all over with Jake Coker and the way that that developed and then winning the whole thing I you know there's not many coaches out there who could have pulled that off I I just I, I don't think Lane Kiffin is uh I'm fully appreciated for for what he's done in Alabama. I think he's been absolutely terrific. Chris, I wanted to ask you. You've covered him for four years now, uh, and he certainly saved his best game for his last. Uh, uh, just, just a little bit about your impressions on the the tough breaks that Kenyon Drake had suffered while he was at Alabama, physically and mentally, and then the way he went out in style Monday night. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it, this year people. A lot of people forget they were going to go with a two-running-back system this year. It was going to be kind of the, the thunder and lightning backfield where it was, you know, we're going to use Kenyon Speed and we're going to have, you know, Henry, you know, barreling down on teams. And and, and it ended up just being, you know, pretty much a Derrick Henry show. Uh, Kenyon, you know, it's, it's he, you know, he's one of those guys when you see kind of things that he went through, you, you can't help but feel for him. Um, and, and to come back and get that kick return, you know, in, in the national championship game, that was just terrific. And, and you know, I, I couldn't be happy for him. But uh, you know, he's a dynamic player. I think you know someone's going to get someone's going to give him a shot. I think if, at the NFL level, you know, bring him in for uh, you know camp and see what he can do. Um, but you know, he's one of those guys that uh, you know. Remember, he was at SEC Media Days for Alabama. They thought he was going to kind of develop into kind of a team captain this year and, and be that important to the team and. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But um, you know, from here on, uh, you know, you hope, you hope for the best for him. And Chris, now I wanted to ask you about on the other side of the ball because Coach Saban, he never, he hadn't had an assistant with him as long as he'd had Kirby Smart, and uh, you could yeah. kind of tell. And you were there with him uh, throughout the journey. And 
Kirby uh, being, you know, elevated in 2008 to defensive coordinator and, and or excuse me, after 2008 and 2009, and they win the national championship. He, he helps win four rings. And, and you could tell during this journey that it was an emotional time for Coach Saban. He has a special attachment to Kirby Smart, who'd been very loyal to him and stayed and waited his, for his turn. But your your thoughts on uh, now him having to transition to Jeremy Pruitt. Of course, Jeremy Pruitt is very familiar to Coach Saban, but what kind of uh, effect do you think this is going to have on Alabama's program? I, I don't think it's going to really have much of an effect, especially since since Pruitt has already kind of established himself. And when when he went to Florida State, um, be, you know, before Georgia, you know, he was already being groomed to be kind of Kirby's replacement, and he was on that fast track. And, you know, and and like you, you mentioned a little bit with with, um, with Kirby. It's you know years ago, um, you know Nick was was really looking toward. He wanted he kept hiring people and they were getting hired away kind of thing. So he, he kind of took a step back and was like, you know what, we need to get someone that we can kind of really develop on our own and someone who isn't going to suddenly just you know go away kind of thing. And Kirby ended up being that guy. He was a perfect fit. He was a wonderful hire, and it was uh, you know actually Will Muschamp who who kind of got him in with with Saban's system and. Um, you know, Nick was really close with Jimbo Fisher, and he and he got along really well with um, with with Muschamp as well. But yeah, this is a little bit different because you know how long he had been there, and you know it's 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 almost like they they didn't even have to communicate half the time, you know, because they they thought the same way, and it was they saw the same things a lot of times. And Nick would just kind of like just kind of gesture, and, and Kirby knew what he meant, and that was it, and and. And and they saved a lot of time getting uh, um, signals in. I, I I think that might be the one place that we might see the difference next year is when Nick is trying to tell Pruitt something of hey we need to do this and he has to explain it a little bit more. Whereas you know this year they were making so many changes so quickly. You know the the one game where uh, Sammy doesn't get out of the way and he gets run over by Jonathan Allen and gets a cut on his cheek kind of thing and. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be as smooth next year, but I don't think you're going to see much of a drop-off in Alabama's defense. Chris, as far as the roster overall, the uh, annual press conference tomorrow, 2 p.m. at the Malmore Athletic Facility, will reveal who's going and who's staying. Twitter has revealed quite a bit of it already, but uh, other than the two most obvious, which are Derrick Henry and Sean Robinson, who else do you see – possibly participating in the I'm Gone conference tomorrow? Jonathan Allen, I think, is probably going to be going, and that's more of a kind of a, you know, a gut call on that. But, uh, you know, he's if he goes, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he's got to go then. Uh, the guy that I really, I'm really curious about is O.J. Howard, uh, especially after the national championship game where he kind of finally showed what, what he can do. I was talking to uh, Mel Kuyper today on a conference call, and, and I specifically asked him um, – oh, excuse me, I didn't ask him about Howard, but he brought it up on his own. Uh, he, he's saying already he thinks that Howard could be right now the number two tight end in the draft if he comes out, probably a second rounder. And if he does really, really well in the combine, you know, he might even be the first guy to go kind of thing, which it actually makes sense because it's it's – there's no blocking involved. There's no more tackling. All the physical stuff is, is pretty much done. You know, the things that the scouts are going to really fall in love with, like at the combine and, and, and from here on uh, here on in, are going to be his receiving skills and, and his speed. And, you know, those are his strengths. So um, I, I think he's got a really good opportunity right now. 
And and the problem with both of those guys is that, you know, if they come back and they improve their draft stock, and I, I really don't think that they can. So um, I, I, I think we've probably seen the last of those guys. But, you know, stranger things have happened. And then, Chris, my final question for you is the future. You obviously are going to continue to cover this program closely, and you saw uh, some of the uh, – and you've heard the buzz about Blake Barnett. And uh, now Lane Kiffin has uh, worked with two QBs and taken them both to the college football playoff, both fifth-year seniors in his first two years. Should he return next year, he would be able to work with a guy like Barnett, who he personally recruited, who – I know the coaching staff has been very high on his potential, but just your thoughts on the future, and uh, even with depending on the NFL departures, this is still going to be a very talented football team. Might be a little bit different style of team next year, but just your thoughts really early on the 2016 season uh, opening against Southern California and Dallas. Well, we'll start with uh, the quarterback position. Um, I I think Blake Barnett, just kind of seeing him at at media days, um, you know, both at the Combo and the Orange Bowl, or not Orange Bowl, um, the national championship game. Uh, he's they got. He's got to get in the weight room. He's got to. He's got to gain some weight. He's got to get more serious about that. And uh, I think if he doesn't, it's going to hold him back a little bit. Um, I, you know, I I don't think Cooper Bateman's going to be. You know, he's going to be looking to relinquish anything. I think we're going to have an, an interesting competition between the three quarterbacks. And uh, you know, it's it's not going to be decided until the very end until he acts absolutely positively have to make a decision. Uh, I think the rest of the offense is looking very good. They, you know, wide receivers, they're getting, you know, just about everyone back. Um, you know, Robert Foster is going to come back too. So uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, the running back situation, Damian Harris, Harris and Bo Scarborough, I think, you know, you can think, you know, be looking for big things from both of those guys next year. Defensively, obviously there's no way they're going to have the same kind of depth on the defensive line, but uh, the secondary could be a real, real strength. You know, yeah, they're going to be – Alabama's going to be very good next year. In fact, it's it's. I would be shocked if they are not the preseason favorite or second going in. Probably going to be, you know, top five um, preseason polls. You know, some places are probably going to have them number one or two, especially since they're, they're the reigning champs. But, um, you know, it's going to be another brutal year in the SEC. I, I, I like LSU, what they've got coming back. Uh, I think Arkansas is going to be, you know, right there. They're going to be tough. You know, the Mississippi schools are going to be looking not to drop off, even though that's that's going to be quite a challenge for them. So, um, you know, we're going to be six six months from now, we're going to be, you know, saying, here we go again. And, you know, do they have a shot at, at 17? And, and the answer um, is pretty much like every other year. Don't count out Alabama until until they're pretty much until they're dead. And uh, yeah. they'll be they'll be right there in the thick of things. Absolutely. And then really quickly, and we want to thank you again for your time tonight, Chris. Uh, the book, Sweet 16, when can we expect to see it on newsstand, sir? You will start seeing it in bookstores um, tomorrow. Um, next week, it'll be pretty much everywhere. And we also have a, uh, a special agreement with Walgreens. They're going to carry it. So just about any Walgreens in the state should have it. But otherwise, you know, we're talking Barnes & Noble and, you know, all, all the major uh, book carriers. Well, we appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for the time. We hope to have you on BAMS again soon. Thank you, sir. It's been uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you asking, and I love being here. Thank you, Chris. That's Chris Walsh, uh, who, uh, like our next guest, has shared a press box with me for about the last 15 years. So never get tired of sitting around and talking football with these guys. Uh, Chris was a great first-time guest. I had no idea, uh, Thomas and 
Drew, when I asked him about Deontay Wilder, that he'd been suffering various things for two years after that one knockout punch and when he sparred with Deontay. No idea about that. I, I wanted to tell what I thought was a funny story. It turned out to be kind of sad. But anyway, that was Chris Walsh. Uh, he's been with Bleacher Report Saturday down south. He's been with Tuscaloosa News. He's been with Bama Online. He's been covering the Bama Beach since the early Shula era. And a guy that's been covered even longer than that, as well as the recruiting aspect of it, is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, back in the day, he used to had uh, he used to have jet black hair. Now he's got cold steel. But uh, <laughs> got to bring on a, a uh, longtime friend and a, and a great guest on our show. We always love having him. A good friend of Bama's Radio, the owner and general manager, uh, chief cook and bottle washer at TidersSider.com, Rodney Orr. Roll Tide, Rodney. Well, roll tide, Kerry, and uh, it's actually it's not jet black. It's and it's uh, I don't know what the other phrase you used was, but it's silver ice. Okay, silver <laughs> ice. He I called cold it cold steel. steel, Rodney. Cold steel was in between jet black and silver ice. That's back when it was great. Yeah. My bad. You're right. It is silver ice. Well, welcome to Bams Radio, Rodney. We're so glad to have you. Uh, you know, you've been around Alabama football a long time, definitely since the '70s. And uh, as you're sitting there watching the ball game the other night. And uh, the ball leaves Adam Griffith's foot and travels 15 yards downfield and settles into the waiting arms of Marlon Humphrey. What's going through your mind, Rodney? The onside kick? Uh, I I was totally, totally stunned for a second. And I say (laughs) stunned. I don't know if stunned's the right word or frozen. It just seemed like things were – it was frozen in time. You know, I'm not expecting it. That's the thing. And and it's such an emotional game at that point. I mean it's you know, you you know, you're going up and down and up and down and you know, and then all of a sudden you just it, it seemed like when he kicked that ball it was in slow motion. Everything was in slow motion on that play. Surreal, maybe, I don't know. Whatever the word is. It just it just didn't seem uh normal at that point because I was caught off guard wasn't expecting it, and uh, obviously neither was uh, Clemson. And, <laughs> I don't um, think it, even Jake Coker. How, <laughs> how could you? How could you be? How could it be so extremely well executed like that? I mean, to a T. You could not have mm-hmm. asked for better. But now let me back up a minute. I'm going to tell you what I just to give you a little. You know, if you don't mind, give you my Good, analysis yeah. of what I think really kind of turned the game for Alabama. You know, it was 24-21, and Clemson had Alabama on the ropes now. They were, they were about to deliver the knockout blow. I really believe that with about 13 minutes left. You may say a three-point game with 13 minutes left. How are you going to deliver the knockout blow on Alabama? Well, here's what I think. You know, I, I think the Alabama defense was gassed at that point. Um, I wasn't sure they could stop Clemson when Clemson got the ball back at midfield. Clemson that got a first down on first down, and then – the Alabama defense made one of the, its best stands of the year. They held Clemson on three straight plays, forced a punt, mm-hmm. and then that's when everything – I think that laid the groundwork for the next the events that led to the Alabama victory. And, and let me say this, you know, after that punt, Coker hit the big throw. He had not done anything in the second half with the exception of that one throw to O.J. Howard. He hits a big throw on first down to our Darius Stewart. That was Stewart's first catch of the game. Then, a few plays later, we know what he did. I think, what was it, third and something? And he third hits, and 11. 
but he had Stewart down the field for 38 yards. All right, what a big catch. That was a great throw, big catch. Alabama settles for the field goal, and it's 24-24. But Clemson's getting the ball back, and that's when you start talking about that onside kick. I mean, they executed it to perfection. I think at that point the key is, you know, you get that big opportunity. Now it's either something you build on or it's something that's kind of a the defense or the other team gains momentum from by stopping you. And two plays later, Alabama took advantage of it with the throw to O.J. Howard. And all of a sudden, Alabama's up 31-24, and you're talking about it could have been a 31-21 Clemson lead, mm-hmm. if you follow me. So that's a 17-point yeah. turnaround right there. That is a 17-point turnaround. Right, that's that's one defensive stop. The other one was when Clemson drives back down the field and they, they make them settle for the field goal. Really, I think Eddie Jackson had an opportunity to pick that ball off in the end zone, if I remember correctly. And mm-hmm. they kicked the field goal, and it's 31-27, and then the Drake 95-yard return you know, obviously makes it 38-20. So Clemson started really playing catch-up there, and Alabama just kept making the big plays it needed to make. That was what was so unbelievable about this, the big plays that Alabama continued to make. You know, then then the, the little flare pass to, to O.J. Howard that sets up the, the final touchdown. And, I mean, you know, Clemson just, like I said, just, just kept playing catch-up from two scores behind, and it, they just couldn't do it. Yeah, it was an amazing uh, football game, and the and the and uh, you know Lane Kiffin, you know on that sixty-three yard catch and run, he installs that at halftime. They execute it, and then of course the big run uh, to get the first down to allow the last touchdown by Jake Coker yeah, riding the bootleg. Huge, huge play, huge play. That's Coker, though. I mean, that's the kind of grit he showed all year. Once he kind of got himself settled in, and uh, you know, third and three, and they ran the boot. And he, the guy had a look, you know, Coker was not outside of the guy, but the guy was in perfect position to make the play. And, you know, Coker just kind of slammed on the brakes, and he ran past him a little bit, allowing Coker to kind of angle back in and then dive for the first down. And you know, that was huge in terms of getting the first down, you know, setting yourself up for more points, you know, the, the touchdown rather than a field goal, and the clock, you know, you just got get Keep burning clock, and you know that. So certainly that was huge, and for for those reasons, and then you convert with the touchdown. Derrick Henry's probably what final final carry of his career, don't you think? I mean, he's yeah. going to announce tomorrow. Touchdown. He's going to mm-hmm. announce tomorrow. So the final carry of his career is very important. About a four inch run, for <laughs> uh, a touchdown. He had to you know just fight his way in there, and. Uh, so anyway, you you know how the game turned out, but I thought all those things were very important points of the game. And we forget about all the other little plays. I mean, you know, you think about DJ partially yeah, DJ Petway partially blocking that field goal. Okay? That's three points right there at the end of first half. All right. Then Ronnie Harrison gets the pass break up in the end zone. That's four points right there. They got the field goal. They would have gotten the touchdown. So that's seven points. That's the difference in the game in those two plays if you look at it. So it really is, Rodney. I wanted play. to ask. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm my fault. I was just going to say a lot of little plays that kind of change the game. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you because we just asked Chris Walsh, and he was thinking that uh, John Allen, in his opinion, his gut, John Allen and O.J. Howard would would turn professional. 
I've been hearing that the coaches, of course, want uh, O.J. to return, and he was expected to more than likely, and that Jonathan Allen, the, the prevailing thought has been for a couple weeks that he would return for his senior year, but we do know that Mel Kuyper came out and said uh, that he would go 19th overall in the first round, so we know uh, things can change. Do you have any uh, intel tonight on who on, on those two young men? And we all we both all, we all think Ashawn Robinson will likely turn pro. Well, I think Ashawn Robinson, Derek Henry, yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I don't think anybody really listens to what Kuyper says uh, in terms of making the decision. I mean, right. nothing against Kuyper, nothing against Mel Kuyper. I just don't think that, you know, I think they use other sources that they consider more reliable in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, where where you might go. Just because you say they're going to go there. I mean, you know, he's had guys in the first round that go in the third round. I mean, yes. you know, he's missed on a lot of guys. And it's not just him. It's not an easy thing to predict. So that's why you have to, to be really careful. So I think, um, you know, I, I think O.J. Howard, I, I, I'm going to guess that he's probably been advised by Nick Saban that, you know, hey, you know, this is what you are. Uh, I think this is probably where you go. You come back and you're probably going to make yourself a better pick next year. You come back mm-hmm. and you get bigger, you get stronger. Uh, you you know, you have an opportunity to show your skills more next year. We're going to utilize you more. Um, you know, you're just now starting to really kind of come into your own. You were a small school player, high school player. You could use another year to get bigger and stronger and more physical and make yourself a, a, a better prospect and, and move up in the draft. I think that's probably what he's going to tell him. That's just me. It's my opinion. Now, whether or not O.J. will listen or whatever, I mean, you know, who knows, but – I'm going to guess O.J. Howard. If I had to venture a guess, I would say the odds would favor. Unless if he did – I think if, if he listens to what he's probably been – the best advice he gets, he probably comes back. Doesn't mean he couldn't go and wouldn't be successful. I'm just saying it. I, I think he comes back. Jonathan Allen, I think there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. He may go. There's certainly you know a lot of people talking about how high he may go in the 19th pick and all that other stuff. Uh, but – I won't be surprised if he comes back. I think there's some other extenuating factors that could have, you know, certainly encourage him to come back. I mean, look, last year this time, there were a lot of really good people that were reporting Jaron Reed was gone. A lot of good mm-hmm. people. Jaron Reed's gone, gone, gone. You know, people I talked to that kind of have a finger on the pulse said not so fast on, on, on Jaron Reed and Raglan. And both those guys did come back. Now, I, I don't know what Jonathan Allen's going to do, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't really want to make a – I wouldn't be as bold on him as I would, you know, Howard, but I won't be surprised if Jonathan Allen comes back. And, again, there's there's a lot of factors involved there in his decision. Rodney, we can't have you on bounds without at least talking a little bit of recruiting. And uh, there's three, three big weekends in a row coming up, starting, of course, this week and even right now, really – uh, let's start with this weekend as far as uh, who are some of the big names that will be in town and uh, what are Alabama's chances with those guys? Well, I think, you know, when you, when you start talking about this weekend, I, you know, I've thought all along to me that one of the biggest prospects out and I, I'm, I'm a lineman guy. You know that. I, I love defensive linemen. I love offensive linemen. Uh, you know, I really think that's where your program starts and and i mean so i'm really big on those guys especially with the ones alabama's you know going to be losing some this year 
that you know I, I'm not so sure that the that one of the best players in the country and top four or five players in the country is an A.J. Brown out of Starkville, Mississippi. And I, I really have been, you know, thought since last year, last spring or so, that you know, we, we posted this in a report and kind of got a little bit, uh, people laughed at us a little bit when we compared A.J. Brown to Julio Jones. But I, I think he's got that kind of potential. I mean, I think he can be a difference maker. And, you know, he's coming in this weekend. I think Alabama's in good position with him. I think even the Ole Miss people are starting to kind of concede that they think he's going there. The Mississippi State people even now starting to come out and saying they think A.J. Brown will go to Alabama. You know, we'll see. But I think Alabama's in good position with him. Another really good receiver, Keith Gavin. I think if you could get Gavin and Brown, two big physical receivers, you know, that would be outstanding. Now, Gavin, of course, is from Crawfordville, Florida, and had been committed to Florida State. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Gavin. I, you know, obviously he's down to Alabama and Florida State. Um, you know, Jack Jones is a guy from Long Beach Poly that is a really good athlete. I think he came in maybe tonight or was supposed to come in at some point this day and spent today and spent a few days here, a couple of days. But I talked to his coach yesterday. He's kind of been compared to Cyrus Jones a little bit coming out of high school, an all-purpose guy, wide receiver, cornerback type, about 5'11", 170. Of course, there's a lot of schools recruiting him on the West Coast. We'll see what, you know, what happens there. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, the running back coming in that was committed to, uh, Florida State. I, he may still be committed to Florida State. Isn't he? Amir Rasul, um, Rod, he is still yeah, committed. Yeah, he's still committed to Florida State. And I think Alabama, you know, likes him. Obviously, um, you know, he's a good-looking player. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of that second running back. I know they're supposed to visit. Uh, they're going to go out and see Devon Penniman tomorrow sometime. Billy Napier might be out there in Texas. His kid committed to uh, committed to Ole Miss. That I think. Alabama's kind of really interested in. It's a really nice-looking running back. So I don't know what they'll do with Rasul in terms of, you know, right away, but I do think that, you know, with him coming in tomorrow, obviously he's a guy that they, you know, certainly are looking at, and I think they do need another back. And, um, you know, a lot of the guys that are coming in, too, are guys that are committed. You know, we've we've talked about them on your show before. Uh, Trevon Diggs told us he is coming in, by the way, the guy from that's committed out of Maryland, who is, you know, in my opinion, a wide receiver athlete type guy that could play in the secondary as well. Nick Eubanks is a tight end out of uh, out of Florida who's coming in for a visit to, you know, Alabama had been on in on him a little bit earlier, seemed like pretty heavily, but um you know, that's that's just some of the names. Mikel Jones I'm just kind of going off the top of my head is a, a receiver out of Patterson, Louisiana, that I think you know Alabama really likes a lot. I know Ole Miss really likes him too, um, you know. But that's that's I think that's suggestive. There may be some more that I haven't named. I know Drake Davis is named the wide receiver from IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. That's been mentioned as he may visit. Of course, he's committed to LSU, and I don't even know if he'll show up. Um, you know, we're not going to put him on our list. If he shows up, he'll show up, but. I mean, I think he's headed to LSU. Right. Yeah, and Jared Bates is a great-looking cornerback, by the way. Um, uh, Kerry and um, Drew, Jared Maiden from Texas, he's coming in mm-hmm. for a visit. He's scheduled to be in. He's a great-looking uh, prospect. So uh, he had originally been committed to uh, Oregon, but it's backed off of that now, and it looks like Alabama, Florida State, and LSU are, you know, right there among his top three. One I wasn't expecting that now says he's visiting is a defensive end who's committed to TCU from New Orleans named Cy Martin, 
uh, 6'4", Yeah, yeah, we have him on our list, too. He's a uh, yeah, size of Claire. I think he had, like, 33 sacks this year. <clears throat> Can you believe that? I mean, mm-hmm. what what a number. Were you aware of that, Drew? I, I wasn't aware of the number. I just knew he had a monster senior year. <laughs> yeah, he he did have a monster senior year, and he uh he had a lot of sacks. I think he had 33 sacks. I think that's over half of his tackles were sacks. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's a good-looking prospect, too. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, there's a lot of guys I think Alabama's going to bring in. Um, you know, you don't like – you don't want to say backup players because they're all really good, but, you know, you can't take them all either. So you kind of have to have a priority list, and, you know, not everybody you bring in is going to necessarily be able to fit into the class. But, you know, I think they're going to bring some guys in that uh, – that are really good players that maybe uh, aren't quite as rated as highly by some of these. I tell you, a guy that I think is extremely underrated is a kid that's committed to Auburn. Now, he's not coming in this weekend, but the defensive lineman Nick Coe from Asheboro, North Carolina. No uh, question. I think I don't know what he's rated. What are they rated, Drew? A three star? Yeah, but he's not. He's remote. like Marcel Darius being a three star. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's vastly underrated. That's why those services, most of them don't really, uh, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, predict it with accuracy. But they, uh, I think he's vastly underrated, and they probably need to bump him up quite a bit because I think he's an outstanding player. And I think he'll visit Alabama as we move along here. Um, so I'd keep an eye on him. He's an outstanding Absolutely. defensive lineman. He really is. Well, Rodney, we always appreciate the time, man. We know it's very busy for you uh, this time of year. I've been in this business a while, too, and uh, still doing it, uh, following, following it closely via radio, my radio business. But you kind of catch sleep when you can with this recruiting. It gets a little bit crazy. It gets a little out of control. But we know you'll be all over it at Totter Insider. Well, you're right, Drew. The next three weeks, you know, people out there want to know predictions, who's going where. I mean, it's it's just too hard to call right now. It is. It's too difficult to call. This is as wild of a year in terms of the last three weeks as I've seen. Absolutely, especially this year with this class and with Coach Saban. There's a lot, not as much hay in the barn. We appreciate it, man, and we'll be having you on BAMS again soon. Thank you for your time tonight, Rodney. Have a good night. All right. All right. That's Rodney Orr, TylerInsider.com, great friend of the show. And another great friend of the show has been waiting patiently on hold on the Asian Rim hotline. I want to bring in our, our good friend and very loyal caller and listener from North Alabama, Jocelyn. Uh, Jocelyn, how are you doing tonight in Roll Tide? I am well, thank you. How are y'all? Roll Tide. Doing well, yeah. Jocelyn. Roll Tide. I hope you enjoyed the national championship game. Hope it didn't take too many years off your life. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, yes, I enjoyed it. I was literally sitting at the edge of my seat, too. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody was. I thought the going going back to the to the um, championship game. I thought that it was a hard fought game, even though mm-hmm. um, Bama played a little bit slow in the first quarter. You know, um, our defense had a hard time stopping um, Watson, but they seemed but they seemed to um, have an okay shot at stopping the running back um, Fullman. I think is his name. Yes, I think that you know they were. Um, like I said, they were a little bit slow during the first half. But in the second half, their momentum kind of came back and their confidence started keeping up. So, Yeah, it was a game of adjustments and ebbs and flows. And 
Alabama. The reason I think the win's significant is because, you know, Clemson proved their wares. Uh, they're a very talented team, a lot of future NFL guys. I'm going to freely admit I was wrong on Clemson. They were better than I thought. I thought Ole Miss was a better football team coming into the game, but Clemson showed me a lot. Uh, Chad Kelly had a great game against Alabama, but he's not Deshaun Watson. Uh, he's not Deshaun Watson as a runner. Deshaun Watson was as accurate throwing from the pocket as he was on the run, and I thought on the run Alabama might be able to take advantage of it a little bit, but they you know, were not really. He controlled and shredded at what I think is an elite defense still, uh, but he was on point and had a great football game. And then Wayne Gallman showed me a lot. I mean, I knew he was solid, but he he's a, he broke a ton of tackles. Uh, he's somebody from, you know, Grayson High School in Logansville, Georgia. Played for former Alabama football player Mickey Kahn. Uh, was a teammate of the Kim Dichies. A lot of people thought they took him just to get Kim Dichie, but he's a really good player, really great, a great player in his own right, and he's returning to school for Clemson. And Dabo Sweeney. Uh, you know, I still he still hasn't convinced me he should be the successor to Nick Saban, but his uh, run has been remarkable as a coach. Uh, he got the Bear Bryant Award yesterday, and that'll mean a lot to him. It's well deserved. Uh, his team should be the number one team in the country in the preseason in 2016. Uh, Deshaun Watson should be the front runner for the Heisman. I know there's been a lot of people talking about Christian McCaffrey, and I've seen both of them play. But I'm going to tell you what, Deshaun Watson to me should be the first pick in the 2017 draft. I think he's an even better player because he's a quarterback than Christian McCaffrey. And uh, I really think uh, that uh, the Clemson Tigers have a chance in the first game of the 2016 season of uh, starting the nail in the coffin of one Gus Malzahn. Yeah. Like I said, um, Clemson Clemson also surprised me too. I mean, they always said that nobody believed them. But until that, but when they played against us, you know, Monday night, you know, like I said, they had they had us up for a pretty good while. Now, those are the quarterback. Uh, I think it's quarterback scared all of us. I know he scared me. Oh, he scared all of us. It was a great game, very great. It game. was. Uh, we've got time for one more question. If you got one for us, Jocelyn. Sure. Um, I, I heard today that um Eddie Jackson was coming back. To Alabama, but I also wondered if um, Calvin Calvin Ridley's brother was coming to play as well. No, he uh, he's going. He's already enrolled in school in Georgia. Uh, okay. Alabama didn't have room. He's, that's Calvin Ridley, Calvin's little brother. Alabama didn't have room for him. He wanted to come to school early, and Alabama needed him to wait until uh, the summer, and he didn't want to wait. So uh, he knew Kirby Smart and some of the coaches at Georgia. So he's already actually been going to classes this week at Georgia. Okay. Well, we thank you so much for calling us, Jocelyn. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, our, thank you, our Jocelyn. Friend, our friend from the Quad Cities over there in the 256, longtime listener. And uh, her friend Daniel called uh, earlier this hour. Y'all know him as Brain the Pain. But now we're going to uh, play a recorded interview for y'all that has some very – opinionated uh, statements and interesting information from one of the great friends of this show. And I'll let Drew introduce this piece. Absolutely. Uh, we uh, we were able to have him on my radio program, Talking Ball, every uh, every day, Monday through Friday, from noon to 2 on uh, 97.7 The Zone. And uh, on Wednesday, we got some very interesting insight, of course, from longtime friend and uh, noted Alabama insider, uh, to BAMS Radio, William Redfish Barger. Please enjoy this about 30 minutes of of uh, this interview and this uh, conversation 
and his take on the national championship game and on uh, maybe the and also the future of Alabama football, especially defensively under new defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. And that is former Alabama offensive lineman and noted insider William Redfish Barger. William, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Drew. How about you, bud? Doing well, and I think we're all a little bit drained still from the game on Monday night, and uh, it really kind of unfolded uh, in, a, in a way no one really expected, I guess, except some of the media got it correct as far as uh, that they would be high scoring, but they didn't. Uh, of course, most of them had Clemson coming out on top. I guess you get the best way to put it, William, is it was a it was a team win. It was probably one of the worst performances overall defensively by Alabama. Uh, but of course, Clemson had a lot to do with that. Deshaun Watson, obviously, a special player. Yeah, and I, I certainly, uh, you know, don't have a problem raising my hand to somebody that didn't expect. I certainly expected them to have some success offensively, right? Uh, but not to the tune that they did. I think I predicted a, a twelve to fourteen point win for Alabama on Monday, and. I guess up until a minute and 20 seconds left to go in the game, that was looking pretty good for me. But, uh, <laughs> um, luckily, I didn't have any money on it. So I didn't have to, to get a beat up twice over it. But, yeah, I think that's something that we talked about um, either this, this week, earlier this week or last week um, that, that I mentioned that I was kind of looking forward to see, um, you know, what Jeremy Pruitt could bring to the table with Nick Saban as far as, you know, dealing with these spread offenses, especially with a, you know, a dual threat quarterback like Deshaun Watson. I think, you know, this is two ball games in a row, two years in a row, um, where Lane Kiffin has basically been asked to outscore the, the opposing team because uh, the defense couldn't shut them down. And you know, I think that's it'd be interesting to see because I don't think that really Nick and Kirby's collaboration together um, ever really totally got a handle on that. So that's something I think to look forward to. Is Alabama's, you know, that's why everybody's depressed. Um, you know, the college football is over with, but you know, we're we're three minus sixty days from spring practice, so it's not going to be that much of a vacancy. Yeah, and it, and it, to show you how Nick Saban grinds uh, on the plane ride back uh, to Alabama when they left Arizona the next day after the the final press conference, he was already rewatching the national championship game. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's something that, that a lot of people really you know, miss the boat on with Nick. It's just his, you know, tireless work ethic um, and, and really just, you know, when he's tuned in and tuned on, um, there really isn't anything I, I think that exists outside of that football bubble for him. Um, and I think, you know, he kind of reminds me of a, of a almost like a grade school, elementary school teacher. I think that's really what, you know, cranks his tractor. Is, is, you know, he considers himself a teacher. You saw him mention over and over again how much enjoyment and fulfillment he got at watching this team kind of rise from the ashes in the aftermath of the old Miss game and, you know, not only make it to the college football playoff, but to win, uh, you know, their fourth national championship, you know, in regards to you know, Nick's tenure at Alabama. And, yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of different reasons why, um, you know, this was his favorite team. And, and I certainly agree with him. I've never had. As much enjoyment as a fan watching a, a team like I, I, I did this year. There's so many different, you know, storylines and pieces to the puzzle, and um, you could really tell. I think when you know that they got up specifically against Michigan State. I guess is the, the most recent example, and you know the starters were over there 
you know, coming on glued on the sidelines, watching the third team running back and Bo Scarborough run over people. <laughs> you, know, you, just, you just don't see that very often. You know, nine times out of ten, when the starting offense gets taken out of a game, you know, they're over there drinking Gatorade and cutting up on the bench. So that was something that really stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, I, and as uh, I think it was O.J. Howard was quoted after the game, William, uh, he said uh, the next day that it was a true brotherhood and that they had really uh, honestly tried to forge relationships with each other, and it was probably the closest team they had had. And I think that's probably why Coach Saving was uh, so, uh, you know, open with what he said after the game. But, you know, he was trying to say, I don't, you know, I try not to choose a favorite team, but he was so proud of this team for how far they came and uh, and what they, for what they accomplished. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you had to put one player, um, you know, kind of in the spotlight and, and – you know, hey, this is kind of the the figurehead of, of what Nick's talking about. I think that obviously goes to Jacob Coker. Yes. Um, you know, after being benched basically against Ole Miss and, you know, coming back and almost pulling the come from behind victory despite the, you know, the circumstances that he was thrust into action for. Um, yeah, I think this guy's just kind of become the poster child in the face of, of this team. Uh, very unselfish. It's never about him. Um, you know, I saw an interview that he did yesterday, I guess, where he said that he, he wished he could keep playing with the same group of guys forever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that, you know, has kind of gone from being uh, the laughing stock, so to speak, of college football in the last two years. Couldn't beat out Jameis Winston. Got beat out by Blake Sims. You know, struggled to win the job this year. And I, I feel like he's played himself. You know, when you look at that body, that size, and that arm talent, you know, I think he's a guy that's going to end up being a you know fifth, sixth, seventh round draft pick. Yeah, he's going to end up getting drafted and have a chance because, as you see, his mechanics aren't the prettiest, William. But uh, so like the throw on third and eleven, which may have been one of the two or three biggest plays of the game against Clemson, uh, he threw off his back foot, and that was all armed. Our Darius Stewart. Yeah, and, and you know, it's uh, I'd love to see, um, and you, you talk about. You know, players making plays when the game's on the line. Um, you know, obviously, I think Jay can throw the football further than that. We've seen him do it off of his back foot in other games. But, you know, that was an unbelievable throw for you know, him to know he was fixing to go down and Ardarius wasn't looking at him and, and uh, just how that whole thing worked out. Um, you know, the, the way that the, the offensive game plan uh, kind of unfolded in the second half. Uh, you know, I just think that uh, it, was, you know, it was a great game to watch as an Alabama fan. I, I, you could have given, you know, that me $10,000 that, you know, hey, do you think Nick Saban with the game tied would ever, you know, pull the trigger and go for an onside kick? Um, you know, I'd have never said yes at all to that. So um, a lot of great things happened in that game. Um, you know, I think that that goes to show you that even if you do have a team, uh, that has a prolific offense and a, and a game-changing, you know, type player like Deshaun Watson, uh, at quarterback. You know, unless you're firing on all cylinders, um, you better be pretty adequate in, in the defensive phase of the game and in special teams. I don't know if I've ever seen a ball game where a team had a blocked field goal, a kickoff return for a touchdown, and an onside kick. Um, all executed. You know, that those three things right there, if they happen in a the game, you should have that chance to win. Well, with 
with uh, the performance of the special teams, and you just mentioned it. And uh, another reason thing too, uh, it wasn't pretty, but Adam Griffith may have helped save a touchdown on a, as far as a tackle on a kickoff return. And uh, as you said, DJ Petway with a partial block on the field goal near the end of the half, and then Kenyon Drake with a huge kickoff return. Uh, one of the happiest people in the building. He's taken a lot of heat throughout his coaching tenure, but it had to be Bobby Williams with the special teams performance, and then, of course, his pupil, O.J. Howard, finally having that breakout game. Yeah, and I think that's another name that you just mentioned that you kind of have to put in the same light as, as Jake Coker. That's Adam Griff. You know, yes. uh, after, going, after going 0 for 4 um, early in the year, I think people were ready to ride him and his position coach out on a rail car. <laughs> and, uh, you know, by the end of the year, special teams were a strength of this team. Um, yeah, I think everybody has always known that O.J. Howard was, was capable of doing, uh, as a receiver, and was capable of doing what you saw uh, Monday night. They, they just wanted to see him go out there and prove it. And, you know, you always hear people, you know, Kiffin, you know, give the ball to Henry more. You know, Kiffin, uh, utilize O.J. Howard. You know, when you've got a you know, a, a talent like Calvin Ridley and a 2,000, you know, yard rushing running back like Derrick Henry that's getting the ball 35 to 40 times a game. You know, there's just only so many reps that you get in the game. It makes it hard, um, you know, to, to do that. And, you know, he, he, he made Amari Cooper, that guy, um, last year. You know, it was kind of a combination of Ridley and uh, – you know, Henry this year, we'll have to wait to see if, uh, you know, O.J. decides to come back for, for his last year. And, and I think if he does, it's going to be with the, uh, you know, the promise from Lane Kiffin, you know, hey, we're going to get you involved more. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, they need to get him involved more. But and, and he played a great game as a receiver, William. He, he, play, he made big play after big play, but – as you did see during the game, he continues to struggle as a blocker, and I think he needs another year to continue to get better. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, and I feel like if you're going to give somebody praise, then they deserve to shoulder the criticism as well. And, and you know, he was a direct link and, and partially responsible for, you know, a lot of the criticism that the offensive line was getting you know, in the early part of the season for all those tackles for losses. And, um, you know, and I, I do agree with you. I think he needs one more year in that strength and conditioning program. Obviously, when you look at what he does as far as running like a deer, um, you know, he jumps well. He's, you know, he's an explosive guy. But I think he needs another year to prove that, you know, if, if he's struggling right now to get stalemates at the point of attack in the SEC with, with defensive ends, um, it's going to be real ugly what happens to him as a run blocker in the NFL. So I, I fully expect him to come back for one more year. And, and that's really, to me, um, the only aspect of his game that he needs to improve upon um, is that of a run blocker. And, of course, I was going to ask you about this because uh, in the next few days, uh, Coach Saban will meet with the juniors and then they will have their decisions. But uh, there had been a report today on uh, on uh, Twitter uh, that, uh, you know, Eddie Jackson may be considering going pro. Of course, he was the defensive MVP of the game. Personally, I felt like it should have been Rashawn Evans, who had three sacks. They credited him with two. He actually had three. 
but and had a breakout performance in his own right defensively. I felt like the sophomore from Auburn High School uh, should have gotten uh, the MVP. But Eddie had a big interception, had uh, six interceptions this year, and uh, transitioned uh, to uh, strong safety and did a nice job. But I felt like you know it's, he struggled tackling in the game, and that he really probably needs another year to get acclimated to safety. Your thoughts on him uh, maybe considering a jump to the NFL? Well, no, I, I have a totally different guy. I would have voted D.J. Petway at the end of the season. Well, he had a great game, too. That's a great point. I mean, besides blocking the field goal, he also played very well on defense. And I think that's something, Delstra, that I noticed that I hadn't really seen. Because he hasn't gotten to play that much except mm. in blowout. Uh, but saw a lot of positive things out of Deshaun Hand in this game. Yes, good, good, good point, um, yes. You know, the, the, the guys like Sean and – and Jerry and Reed, who, you know, barely showed up in this game, you know, they, they really shouldn't even play against teams like this because <laughs> they don't change directions well, um, and I don't think they can run well enough. You know, when you're chasing around a guy um, in the pocket like Deshaun Watson, it's almost like putting a rabbit inside of a ring on the, on the grass and asking him to run around in a circle. And uh, but I saw you know good change of direction into Sean Hand, good good lateral quickness, um, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch as we get into spring practice. Uh, but yeah, I think Eddie Jackson is a guy um, that could possibly make the jump. You know, I don't know what the safety situation is this year in the draft as far as you know the seniors that are already there. Um, you know what other underclassmen could be coming out. And, uh, you know, that's the, one of the things I think that to push um, O.J. Howard back for one more year, I, we could all sit here and honestly say that we know he's not going to be drafted in front of Hunter Henry. Oh, no, Hunter, Hunter Henry's a true stud. Agreed there 100%. And I think, you know, you have to do a little bit of research to say, you know, yay or nay on Eddie Jackson. But, you know, I, I think, you know, he's on the fence. Tim Williams on the fence. Jonathan Allen's on the fence. I've already said I expect O.J. to come back. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's like you saw, um, you just mentioned who you thought your, um, defensive MVP was going to be. And that's the, the byproduct of this system. Uh, you know, this is, this is Rashawn Evans second year on campus. You know, if he comes back next year and has the kind of year that Tim Williams has had this year, Alabama's really, I think, going to get one good quality season out of him, um, as a player and then boom, he's gone. And uh, that's, I think that's one of the things that people, you know, it's, it's a positive and a negative. I mean, mm-hmm. you, can sell, you, know, you can sell that path to the draft. Um, you know, you stay here for three years, get your degree, and, and go on about your business. But at the same time, it puts a lot of pressure on the coaching staff. You know, gone are the days of you know, having the luxury of redshirting 90% of your freshman class and having four- to fifth-year guys you know, running around out there on the field. I mean, when you've got guys cycling out of here in three years like they do at so many different positions, puts a lot of pressure on you as a coaching staff to make sure you keep the cupboard full. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. And and uh, and with Rashawn, there's also been talk uh, with uh, the graduation of Reggie Ragland, the All-American. And, of course, there's been some uh, people worrying about Reuben Foster leaving, but I think Reuben is – going to come back and he did have a, a pretty good game in the national championship game you know double digit tackles but he's going to slide over uh and be the mic uh with uh in reggie's place and there's been some talk of Rashawn uh moving to will and moving inside well 
I don't know how um, that's going to transition with Kirby leaving and, and Pruitt coming in. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Rashad was getting reps, you know, at, at both spots um, in the latter part of the season, specifically in bowl practice. And, you know, you saw him, you know, there in the second half playing that, that spy technique, uh, you know, just lining up, looking like he was going to come on a blitz and then dropping back and shadowing the quarterback. You know, he's a um, phenomenal athlete. You know, got his, he's as fast for five yards as anybody in college football is. And, and, and like him, um, you know, I think Reuben Foster's a guy that, uh, you know, is going to come back for one more year, uh, become the, the alpha guy there on the defense. And, uh, you know, look how much he's improved as a, uh, a guy that drops back into coverage. And, of course, I just had a question via text and, uh, of course, a lot of people want to know, you know, what, with your ear to the ground, this this should be done in the next couple of days, William, because of the recruiting weekend coming up. But who is going to coach Ruben? Well, I think that's a good question. I mean, I will <laughs> say this. Jeremy Pruitt spent, you know, the majority of his time shadowing the inside linebackers during the ball practices. Um, you know, they did sneak Derek Ainsley in last week for an interview. The co-DC um, now at Kentucky, who uh, is the defensive bad guy. Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people look at that and they say, well, that's a deal breaker. Well, they're only paying him three hundred and fifty grand. That's not a deal breaker at Alabama right now. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, he's a guy that fits what Nick likes to do with, with young graduate assistant coaches. Um, you know, he likes for him to spend a couple years in, in his system and then send them off to get seasoned elsewhere. Um and, you know, Derek did that. He went to um, Tennessee when Sal Sanceri was hired as the defensive coordinator. Um, he's made, made a name for himself, um, you know, as a recruiter and a very, very solid exit for those guys. So, you know, in that scenario, if they were to make that move, he would be the DB's coach and Jeremy would coach linebackers. You know, another name that I've, I've kind of heard that, you know, it's going to sound familiar to Alabama fans, but I just guess from a coaching standpoint, um, I just haven't paid that much attention. But I've heard former Alabama linebacker Freddie Roach's name mentioned. Yeah, and he's on the staff now in a in a, in a supportive slash analyst role. Right, which you know might be the same um, you know path that you know that Jeremy took, going from being the director of player personnel to you know mm-hmm. the beach coach. Um, you know, certainly I think Kevin Shears a guy um, that we could get a look there. Uh, but yeah, I do think that you know. I will be shocked if by Friday they don't have somebody in place. Um, it shouldn't take very long. I mean, you saw how quickly Nick made the move with Jeremy and, and got him in the fold. So um, it's an important thing that you know they've got you know double-digit guys coming in this weekend for official visits. And uh, again, you know what a great way when you've got you know so many spots left to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what what a, what a great thing to have. Uh, as we, we've seen happen in previous recruiting classes, you know when they've got that national championship celebration weekend coming up still before national signing day, um, you know to get some key targets into Tuscaloosa for that, see uh, you know how the community supports the team, and uh, you know what it's like to actually walk down the street and, and have uh, you know thousands of people you know clapping and cheering for. I think that's very important for recruiting. Oh, there's no question about that, and uh, it looks as though that will be January the 23rd, uh, a week from uh, this Saturday. They're going to uh, do that celebration, and 
Of course, there'll also be a major basketball game in town that weekend, uh, which will, I'm sure a lot of the recruits will attend. Ben Simmons and LSU, who will probably be the number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft, is going to come to town. So that's going to be a, a big uh, weekend for Alabama. Should be a, a lot of people in Tuscaloosa. And as you said, that that'll probably end up being Alabama's uh, major recruiting weekend of the cycle. Though, as you as you pointed out, uh, AJ Brown, uh, Keith Gavin. Mike Mickle Jones, a lot of big-time targets also coming in this, uh, this coming weekend also. Yeah, and I would keep my eye on the Keith Gavin situation over the weekend. He's a guy that the Tosh LaPoy has worked very, very hard throughout the whole recruiting process, um, you know, trying to get him into Tuscaloosa. So there's been a lot of whispers and rumors that Alabama leads for him. And uh, if there is a kid that, that – you know, pulls the trigger and commits this weekend. I would put my money on him. Yeah, I, I think without a question, because I think they'd like to add two more receivers, William, and we know what they want uh, about the A.J. Brown situation. Uh, some think Alabama leads, but in the state of Mississippi, uh, you can count on nothing. <laughs> well, and I think but one of those guys, I mean, two of them would be phenomenal, but the reason getting one of those guys is so important to me is if if you look at the you know the bodies over there at the wide receiver spot for next year, you know Cam Sims was going to be that big physical guy that would you know go up and out muscle a DB for a jump ball and, and his body size making him so difficult for a shorter center corner to, to deal with. Um, and you know I think his future is a little bit uncertain now. He never looked 100 percent this year. Right. I um, mean, recovering from his knee surgery, there's been whispers that maybe he's a guy that, you know, now with, with Calvin Ridley and, and with Robert Foster coming back, maybe he's never going to have a chance to be that guy um, in Tuscaloosa and maybe he's looking to transfer somewhere. But that, that's why I think Keith Gavin or A.J. Brown is very important um, in, in this recruiting cycle because if you look at, you know, Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster, they're, they're both phenomenal guys. Uh, but they're they're not big body guys. They're not that big physical, you know, Mike Evans guy that, you know, can just go up and abuse DBs and take the ball away from them. So I do expect one of those guys to be in this recruiting class. Um, two would just be phenomenal. And of course, he spent this year hurt and uh, did not play, and is I would assume is going to red shirt. But he he is a bigger, taller guy. Could be more physical. He showed flashes as a freshman. Did not do a whole lot last year, barely played, and then again spent this year injured. Any hope that Raheem Falcons could still be a player? You know, I've learned to never say never. Um, you know, look, look at the, at all the other guys you know, that are end up just coming on in, the, in their latter part of the years on campus. I mean, look how long it took Tim Williams. You know, it's two years since uh, that Colorado State game when Matt Billings said, Alabama's past pass rusher is on their scout team. He's number 56, Tim Williams. Huh. It took two more seasons for that to actually materialize on the field. So, um, you know, for every Calvin Ridley, for every Cam Robinson, you know, there's five other guys that, that have to weed there, you know, like a Ryan Anderson. Um, you know, it's it's going to take until Ryan's fifth year next year before he's a starter. And, uh, you know, he certainly played like one this year. So um, is there hope? Uh, yeah, there is. But as each year goes on, and Alabama adds a Robert Foster and they add a Calvin Ridley, 
and you know maybe this year Keith Gavin or an AJ Brown, I think the odds go down. I I would agree. Uh, just but you never know. We'll see what in the spring if if he doesn't make a move. I, I think he would be someone that might move on as well. And then uh, just watching the replay of the game, William, uh, one of the amazing stories that I've heard is. Uh, and this goes to show you, uh, with Lane Kiffin, I think it's critical that he returns uh, to Alabama for a third year. I still think, of course, uh, Alabama's going to have to wait out the NFL. Uh, but it, it, supposedly at halftime on the 63-yard catch and run that basically helped ice the national championship game, Lane Kiffin installed that play at halftime uh, to kind of show you what kind of coach he is and uh, how you can make adjustments on the fly. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's part of what, um, makes Lane so valuable to his coaching staff. Obviously, the the work that he's done at developing uh, Blake Sims and Jay Coker speaks for themselves. But, you know, one thing that I do think is, you know, working in Alabama's benefit and, and is something that would be, you know, all on his checklist, something that he would like to do before he takes that next step. Is you know, this will be the first time he's really had an opportunity to work with a quarterback that he personally recruited. I'm talking right. about Blake Barnett. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts, uh, who will compete as well. That, I actually got a, a report on um, a couple of days ago. In fact, I think it was right after we talked on Monday um, about how impressed the, the current players were um, with, with what Hurts did in limited work before the uh, you know the team left to go out to, to Arizona. And uh, so – you know, there's two guys there that Lane's personally handpicked and recruited. Um, but, but I think the, the thing that people just don't realize is how good he is at, at spotting mismatches, what it takes for, you know, a wide receiver to make a move inside and go outside to get separation. You saw him do so many times last year with Amari Cooper. And, and again, just think back to this time last year when, when all the pundits you know, we're saying, you know, what? how is Alabama going to ever replace Amari Cooper's productivity? And, uh, you know, they, they did it. Well, not just Calvin Ridley, but I think also Derrick Henry. You know, yes. he's got a 2,000-yard rusher and a 1,000-yard receiver as a true freshman. I mean, he just, he just finds, you know, ways. And I think it goes back to, you know, when he came in, I think we can all kind of dismiss the uh, – Nick bringing him in for as a consultant, you know, <laughs> that was on the that was an on the job job interview is what it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back in uh, um, December of 2013, and you know I think that was one of the things that he noticed right off the bat, you know, why is it number nine getting 50 touches a game, uh, you know, why is it number two getting 50 touches a game, why is it number 88 getting 50 touches a game, so. It didn't take him very long to identify the players that if he were pulling the strings would get all those touches. And, uh, you know, you saw him get all those touches for Amari last year. You saw him get all those touches for Derek this year. And uh, I think he's going to be able to do the same thing, uh, you know, next year with O.J. Howard and, and, you know, Calvin Ridley. And, you know, think about this. As good as that offense was at times this year, and when you see the – development that our Darius Stewart made mm-hmm. um, during the course of the year. Just think about sprinkling in Robert Foster. Oh, wow. That's the, uh, that's hard to – and Calvin Ridley. That's just – and, it, well, as you said, O.J. Howard, if he returns. Exactly. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, I think you might see, you know, um, you know, when you look at a, a running back like Bo Scarborough, who 
doesn't have Derek's, you know, top end speed, but he's, you know, he's a quicker twitch guy that's got better lateral quickness and he hits the hole harder. So it's going to be fun to watch. I, I expect him to be back, and I really hope he. And this is coming from a guy that didn't want him to be hired in the first place. <laughs> I um, think, yeah. You know, he, he's won me over completely, and, and uh, I just think he's one of the best people in the business at what he does. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, William, we always appreciate the conversation, man, and uh, we always appreciate the time. And we know we'll be talking with you again soon with recruiting cranking up for Alabama. The with these uh, and the, of course the the coach, uh, the the inside linebackers coach, or could it be a secondary guy in place? Uh, should be by the end of this week. We'll be talking with you about that and recruiting uh, soon down the road. We thank you for your time today and have a great afternoon. Thanks, Drew. You too. Yeah, that's William Redfish Barge. Everyone, we're going to go on a break. When we come back. We're going to talk to Will Vandervert and kind of wrap it up. And talk. Well, that was William Redfish Barger yesterday on ESPN 977 The Zone in Huntsville talking to our own Drew DeArmond. But now on the BAMS Radio Asian Rim Hotline, we have the number one source of Asian Rim, Alabama baseball, and all kind of other information, and a great friend of our show, a good friend of mine. Welcome to BAMS Radio, co-owner of the Asian Rim, Paige Hockman. Hey, Carrie. How you doing? Full, fat, and happy after that great lunch today at Asian Rim. Good, good. I know that you, you had a couple of um, items there that I like a lot. One of the Thai dishes and um, also the burger sliders are one of my favorites when I'm not trying to lose all the weight that I gained from Christmas. I promise you those were salmon sliders. And, uh, oh, I had you a, had a the salmon sliders. Okay. Yes, ma'am. A little bit healthier. Right. A little bit. And I, I had like the shrimp fried too. rice, which was great. And uh, yeah. wonderful service, as always. Uh, you know, Paige, i got to tell you, I, I've been a waiter in my younger, skinnier years. And I've been <laughs> at Shoney's. I've been, at, I've been at Ruby Tuesday's. I've been at Cypress Inn in Tuscaloosa. I know what it takes to be a good server. And the wait staff and the bar staff and the hostess and management staff at Asian Rim they get it. That is some of the greatest hospitality and courteous, professional, friendly service I've ever had at any restaurant in my life, and I'm picky about it. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate it. We we work very, very hard, and, um, you know, our servers don't take themselves seriously, but they take what they do seriously, which is what you want in a in a in a person. And so we're just really proud of them, and I sure do appreciate you, your kind words. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking over sponsorship of our call-in hotline when uh, Chuck Peak, our good friend of Big Heads Barbecue, decided to step aside because he's uh, put a little bit of a hold on that business. Uh, we're thankful that Asian Rim stepped up and, and took that over, and uh, it's fun every time we get a caller, whether it's a scheduled guest or just one of our regular uh, loyal listeners that calls in. It's always fun to introduce them as part of the Asian Rim hotline, and so when you get to introduce uh, the owner of Asian Rim on her own hotline, that makes it even more fun. But, Paige, I, I want to ask you, uh, uh, but before we get into the sports part of the call, I understand Asian Rim is really gearing up for Valentine's Day, both from an in-person standpoint, for those that want a nice little romantic dinner inside the restaurant, and also uh, you have an option for people that want to take the dinner home and use their own candles. That's right. Um if you decide that you just don't want to go out with the rest of all of the people who are going to be out on uh, Valentine's and you'd just rather create your own ambiance at home and have us do dinner, you can pick up your um, 
to-go box, if you will, for your Valentine's and uh, just take it home and we are giving you a $10 discount. As long as you order $30 or more, you can call in your order, pick it up, and get a $10 discount. You know, as long as you just mention, um, as long as you just mention that it is a to-go order and that you uh, did did uh, see the special or at least hear about it. And we'll be glad to take $10 off and, and you can just go home and have a nice meal on us and do your candlelight at home. Hey, it's your husband, Roy, the uh, co-owner of Asian Rim, Roy Hopman. Uh, we affectionately call him Hot Daddy. Is a big mm-hmm. South Carolina guy. And last night uh, at Coleman Coliseum, you and Hot Daddy got to watch Alabama beat South Carolina 73-50 to 50 as uh, your fellow Marshall County native, Wiley Norris of Albertville, he knocked down eight three-pointers and scored 27 points in uh, probably the biggest win of the short Avery Johnson era because they didn't want to go 0-3 in the SEC. How was that for y'all last night as a couple, you pulling for Bama, him pulling for the Gamecocks, and then seeing Avery Johnson get that big win in that electric crowd? Well, he didn't have much to cheer about. I kind of felt sorry for him. Although he was very happy with our football program beating Clemson, he was – he was not very happy last night, and I was going to try to keep myself calm and dignified and, you know, especially we are sitting right beside Coach Battle and then Derek Henry and uh, a couple of other players were sitting on the other side. And then, you know, true to form, I just, my, my real Bama came out. <laughs> so I was just, you know, really excited and jumping up and down and, and – screaming and yelling for Alabama, and um, I didn't care who was around. So um, it, I just couldn't contain myself. I was so proud of the way that our guys were playing. I think that South Carolina was a little bit off their offensive game, and but we took advantage of it when we needed to. And, boy, did they take advantage of it. I mean, they just whipped their butt, and it was just a – pleasure for me to watch although you know I I did kind of feel bad for my husband he was really wanting to see South Carolina in person and and be able to root them on the win didn't work out though and uh Paige I hope you had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year this is Drew I know we haven't talked in a while but yeah uh, hey kind of I've been I've been kind of counting it down of course ecstatic about how football ended and I'm really excited about Avery Johnson but I follow it on Facebook closely and been and I've driven by it many a time, but I know the baseball stadium is almost completed and I'm, it's less than 60 days until Maryland comes to town. Very excited about that, and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, be your son's senior season, and he had a opportunity to leave, but decided to you know come back and complete his mm-hmm. career at Alabama. And just what is his mindset, and what is the in the in the team as a whole? What is their mindset going into this season, uh, which is very crucial for Mitch Gaspard? Yeah, it really is. Um, well, Georgie is just extremely excited about this year. You know, he just last year was just brutal going to Birmingham to play every home game, and having you know virtually no students there. I mean, a few came here and there, and and they understood that that's just how it's going to be. It's hard for students to travel for baseball. Um, But they are expecting um, a lot of new fans to go with the new stadium. And um, they're just really excited. You know, I think that what they have with all of the the, um, 
old players coming back and then the really, really deep pitching staff that they're just expecting to have a, a very solid season. And they're just so excited about having a home crowd and students are passionate, you know. Um, you know, Georgie said, you know, he told me that um, that it is just literally the best hitting facility in the country now that they have there. And he said the undercarriage of the stadium it's just so super modern. I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen pictures like everybody else. But he said there's nothing that any college baseball player could ever want for it. It's more than what they have there. He said it's just wow. really um, so nice. And he's just, he, they're just they're so excited. We've got a an old-timers um, event happening next weekend where some of the former prof- professional players are coming back who can come back, and then some of the players who played at Alabama are coming back, and they're going to play um, the current team. But it's just going to be a fun day, and I think that that's when we're going to get to um, the families of the players and former players are going to get to see the, the new Joe for the first time. And I, I just can't wait um, for that. Sounds like a great event. Yeah, yeah. And um, as far as the players go, we've got, um, you know, our old pitching staff of Jake Walters, Ray Castillo, um, Tommy, Tommy Burroughs, Nick Eichholz, Jake Hubbard, John Keller, Jeffrey Bramlett, Jack Rogers all coming back. And then we've got amazing, amazing freshmen and JUCO transfers that are um, going to be – if they play like they played in the fall, I mean, I we can we can go a long way. And by a long way, I mean we can go all the way if they can uh, do what they were doing in the fall. Hey, I'm glad you said something about amazing freshmen because I only got a chance to see one hour of the entire fall practice, but it was a scrimmage hour, and your son Georgie was batting. And a true freshman, second baseman by the name of Colby Vance, mm-hmm. dove to his right and Stole a hit from Georgie Salem. I mean, Georgie mm-hmm. hit the ball as hard as you can possibly hit it up the middle. And Colby mm-hmm. dove to his right and stabbed it and caught it in the air. And I was mm-hmm. like, dang, does he do that all the time? And some of the pitchers were out in the outfield with us. And they're like, yeah, Colby does that a lot. He's, he's a, yeah. Coaches are really high on Colby. You know, he was drafted uh, this past year out of high school, and he just has all sorts of accolades that he brings with him. He's really going to be a force to be reckoned with in the, the middle infield, definitely. Um, you know, we've got um, just so many, of like some of these freshmen that we have and sophomore, like Matt Foster from Gulf, State, uh, Gulf Coast State, who is a righty who throws it like up to 97 miles an hour, Um you know he's he's going to be amazing, and then you've got uh, Sam Finnerty who could who's from Pelham, who could definitely see some action on the mound. He was the number three player um, in the state, and yeah, yeah, and uh, of course Will Haney's back, and he had eight home runs at the Cape this summer, which is incredible. Jeffrey Bramlett had an amazing summer at the Cape. It's hard to have an amazing – when I say amazing summer at the Cape, that does not come out of my mouth very often because it's tough to have an amazing summer at the Cape. You know, you've got the best of the best players up there, and um, Will and Jeffrey both had great summers. 
And also, well, Chance had a great summer in, in Texas. And I think we had another player that was out in Texas, actually. Um, I know we've got Tanner Devaney, who is a JUCO transfer from Texas, who um, was on the freshman Kansas State All-Big 12 team, and he's going to be playing catcher. He's he's a big guy. Um, and then, of course, Keith Holcomb from football, who was started on special teams, who's like 6'3", 230. He's going <laughs> to be joining us. And... He's just a mountain of a of a guy. I I can't wait to see what he does. He's an outfielder also. Yeah, yes, he is, Paige. And and from what I understand, a familiar name who he uh, toured the Chattahoochee Valley Junior College last year. But Hunter Webb is back as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad Hunter's back. I mean, he's just a great guy. He's a great leader. He just hustles. You know, I think he he actually was a freshman of the week. Um, uh, his freshman year at Alabama, and so um, we're we're really glad to have him back. You know, he's he's one of Georgie's buddies on the team, and I mean they're all buddies, but um, he he definitely uh, likes Hunter Webb a lot. And we know, of course, uh, that uh, with Mikey White leading the leading the way and on to professional baseball, there was a lot of core guys that left the regular lineup, and Georgie's going to have to take a. Uh, a leadership role this year. How has he how has he reacted to that and kind of being the elder statesman and the senior on the team? Well, I think, you know, John Keller really, even though John Keller was uh, redshirted last year, he stepped up into a mm-hmm. major leadership role, a very vocal leadership role. Georgie, Georgie is a, a good leader, but he's not quite as vocal as a John Keller. Is but Georgie does um, lead by example, and he definitely works hard and gets after it, and, and he expects the younger players to to get after it just as hard, if not harder, um, than than the older guys are. You know, they've all they've all paid their dues, and and they all continue to pay dues. You know, Ryan Blanchard's going to be back with us as well, um, which you know he's he and Georgie were, were freshmen together, and Chance Vincent, of course, is going to be back. And, you know, Chance and uh, Chandler Avant have been kind of swapping in and out at the shortstop position this uh, this past fall. And really and truly, I think that what they're going to do is they, they are so deep in pitching, and um, which is so exciting. We've never been this deep before with, with our pitching staff. And also with all of the different options for the infield and the outfield, I think they're going to have several different lineups depending on who we're playing, and uh, which we've never had that really before. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, Georgie's going to be, you know, working for his position every week, week in, week in, week out. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. you've got so many guys who can really get after it in the outfield and that bring a big bat with them. So if you're out there, you, you've got to be, you know, doing something special, making something happen happen when you're at bat, when you're out in the field. I mean, you've got to be – it's kind of like you're just constantly trying to hold on to your position, which is not a bad thing. That's a good problem for Alabama to have. It is, and uh, that's, that's an excellent little uh... – Inside and preview of uh, the new baseball team, which begins playing right about a month. And I tell you, we're we're all looking forward 
to checking out that new stadium, both his fans and his media and his supporters. And we, we want to thank you so much for your time tonight, Paige. But before we let you go, tell them one more time how they can take advantage of Valentine's Day at the Rim. Well, by simply uh, going to uh, calling us, you can go to the uh, com and look at our menu. You can order whatever you like from there. Call us at 490-1444, call in your order, and tell them that you heard about this on BAMS Radio, you heard about this special, and uh, we'll give you $10 off any carry-out order that you want to pick up on Valentine's Day only. So uh, take advantage of it if you're looking for a place to get a discount and you just want to take your food home and have a quiet evening there. Excellent. Awesome stuff, Paige, and I look forward to hopefully I've been doing a lot of traveling. Hopefully I'll be coming back through Birmingham. look forward to eating at Asian Rim again soon. And uh, you have a beautiful restaurant, and uh, I've always enjoyed the food there and look forward to uh, partaking in it once again uh, very soon. I look forward to seeing you uh, when the baseball season opens. I, I can't wait to see the stadium. I've been waiting for this for over a decade, and uh, Me it's going to be too. a beautiful we're place. All, we're all, we're, thank you. We're all so excited, and thank you so much for the call. And uh, y'all come see us at Asian Ram at the Colonnade. Absolutely, Paige. Thank you. you all right. Go. That's, roll Tide. That's Paige Hotman, owner of Asian Rim. And Asian Rim is the sponsor of the hotline here on BAMS Radio. And our next caller on the Asian Rim hotline is a regular caller. He's the pride of Greenville, Alabama. He's been a part of a couple of uh, national championships at the Capstone as a manager, and now he's watched uh, about five more since then as a fan. Welcome into BAMS Radio, calling Big C. McGuire. Hey, big man, what's going on? Roll Tide. Roll Tide, how y'all doing? Good, Big C. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm hanging in there. What's happening? Hey, man, did you? So, uh, how was your nerves after Monday night, man? I couldn't go to sleep until 1 o'clock. <laughs> you did better than me. I got up at 5. I didn't go to sleep till 4.30 in the morning, Big Z. Okay. Pretty wild. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, what is the deal, what is the deal with Ruben Foster and them? They going to hang in there? They going to leave or do y'all know? Oh, they're going to hang in, Big C. The only two confirmed departures, pretty much, are uh, Derek uh, Henry and uh, Ashawn Robinson. Uh, you know, there's still some uncertainty uh, surrounding John Allen. I do think O.J. Howard is going to return, uh, but we will see. I think those are the only two guys, really, that it's unknown right now. Uh, but J- O.J. really needs to come back. He needs to listen to the coaches and he needs to become a tougher and better all-around football player. And a thing that's not really been talked about that should be is O.J., you know, he came from an AISA school, which is Autogaville Academy in Pratt Bowl. And he's somebody – I know he's very talented, but it's been a big adjustment for him to, to uh, be playing against great players. And I think, you know, he's just now starting to get comfortable uh, and mm-hmm. become a good player. I, now, the blocking part, he's never going to be Mark Bavaro, uh, but he can be a better blocker and be a stronger guy and be a more consistent receiver. And hopefully yeah. the success on the biggest stage in college football is going to give him a lot of confidence. But he needs to return and come back and uh, have a good senior year and then move on to the NFL. He could be a first-round pick if he could become a little bit more consistent. Uh, but, uh, again, he needs to come back and – uh, and then uh, John Allen, he's, he, you know, Mel Kuyper has, you know, put him 19. Like Rodney Orr said, 
that's not accurate sometimes. I mean, he's you know, Mel's good at what he does, but he's not the be-all, end-all. What I've been hearing with John Allen is that he's uh, mostly a lower first-round uh, projection, and that could easily slide into the second. And so you're going to have well, – we'll see what John decides to do. But he, one thing in his favor, too, is he comes from a family that's well-off and uh, financially uh, stable. And also, uh, I've heard that he, yeah, he values his degree, which he could easily finish uh, this next fall. So we'll see. I still think there's a good chance both of them could return, but we'll just have to wait and see uh, by 2 o'clock tomorrow. Big C. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Big C, i got a trivia question yeah. for you. You love trivia. Did you know that on September 3rd of this year, 2016, Big C, that Kevin Steele's got a chance to make history? Well, I don't know he's coaching he's against a, a former team that he coached for. Well, he's got a chance to be – listen listen closely, Big C. Kevin Steele on September 3rd of this year has got a chance to be the first guy to give up 70 points as Clemson's D.C. and as the D.C. of a team against Clemson. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. Devil will try to pile it on. That's all I'll say about that game. But, Big C, I know you've got some other questions for us. I just wanted to drop that little tidbit in there for you. Okay, that was interesting. Well, I'm glad to see Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson are coming back. Mark, uh, I mean, uh, Eddie Jackson is coming back. Yes. Uh, now, uh, all right, here's another question. What about David Cornwell? Is he coming back or is he leaving? He's going to go through spring and then transfer Big C when he don't win the job because I don't think he will. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say too much about the quarterback situation. I do think Blake Barnett is the favorite and will win the job. That's all I'll say about it. But I don't think it's a cod lock. Uh, after the way I saw Jake Coker develop, I'm not high on Bateman, but you never know how much the kid might improve. We all know Alec Morris is now officially going to be one of the mean green in North Texas. So, uh, But mm-hmm. Cornwell, he looked, he looked awful in the fall. He does have talent. Uh, but we will see how much he improves. But – I still think Jalen Hurts uh, has a lot of potential. It's hard for me to project somebody like him because he'd be a true freshman. But I do think Barnett and Hurts have the most talent. Then you have Bateman. Uh, then you have Cornwell. But I do think that you will see Cornwell move on after the spring. I think that's why Alabama was so aggressive in trying to get Shea Patterson and then recruiting some other QBs and going after Pro Cop from, uh, from uh, Montana State because – they knew they were going to lose a couple quarterbacks. They knew Alec was going to try to finish his career elsewhere. And I think they know one of the younger quarterbacks is going to leave as well. well I think they were pretty uh, happy with what they saw the one week he was there of Jalen Hurts, Drew. Yeah, yeah, they were. The, the word I got was he looked impressive in practice. He isn't the tallest guy. He looks like he might be six one and a half, but he's a great athlete, uh, great arm, son of a coach. I mean, he's got the, the mobility. Uh, the uh, the arm talent he's got all the he's got it all in spades and uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see and he's a lot thicker at, at the same at the same time this development from a year ago than Blake Barnett so it's going to be interesting to see how far Blake comes and but I know Blake's a worker he's been waiting on this situation now he just has to take the bull by the horns uh, it took Jake Coker a while to do that but Barnett's going to have to get in the weight room going to have to grind going to have to work but uh, and so are the rest of the quarterbacks but. It's going to be a really interesting battle in the spring, but if O.J. Howard comes back, Big C, offensively, uh, and Lane Kiffin returns, and I believe Lane Kiffin is going to return, but you're going to see uh, a chance to have a really special offense because 
Robert Foster will be back, Calvin Ridley, our Darius Stewart. You could have O.J. Howard, three starters on the offensive line, a lot of young offensive linemen that are hungry, trying to win the right tackle spot, trying to win the center spot. Uh, you know, could Shank Taylor even get beat out at right guard? That's even possible. So I think there's going to be a lot of competition, and I think it has a chance to be uh, a different offense, maybe a hybrid of the first two we saw under Lane Kiffin. Uh, but then you get to see Bo Scarborough as well, and he's got so much potential. And how much will Damian Harris improve? So the weapons will be there. I just think it's going to be a, a really, really fascinating to watch the quarterback battle. Now, I saw somewhere where Alabama's number six. Where do y'all think they'll, in recruiting, where do you think they'll finish up? Top three, if not number one. Top three, for sure. If not I mean, one, I agree. I mean, it's not. Trust me, Big C. They're gonna add probably at least ten more guys, but they all gonna be special. And if I hear one more fool on Twitter ask me why we recruiting Nick Coe because he's a three star, I may trap door him because uh, I'm about tired of it. I mean, and then it's like I told him. I mean, this coaching staff's track record with Nick Saban's pretty good. We've only won four of the last seven national championships. Please don't ask me about star ratings. Who's this guy that's a three-star? Which you, don't, you know what my opinion really on that is, is that, uh, I mean, he's got the track record, so you really don't need to worry about it. But I'm just curious, who's right. this guy that's not complaining about, just out of curiosity, since you brought his name who, the, his, his name's Nick Coe, the, the, the kid, the prospect. And Rodney Where brought him from? up. He's from Asheville, North Carolina. He's committed to Auburn. He's a defensive lineman. And, you know, I had somebody tell me today via Twitter, wow, we're going to recruit some more three-stars. I mean, uh, I <laughs> I just don't understand it. And then he made a he said and he said, well, this staff better be right about him because they sure were wrong about O.J. Smith and Johnny Dwight. And I was like, well, that's not over yet. I still think O.J. Smith. Aren't those guys still aren't those guys still there? Yeah, and I said, well, and Johnny Dwight's still there too. And you know, I don't think you know Dwight's had a hard time, but you know, as I told him, no no coaching staff is 100% in their evaluations. Oh, but, no. you know, Alabama's right a whole lot more than they're wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a friend the other uh, recently thought Deshaun Hand wasn't that good. And, I mean, <laughs> I told him he said he's what, a lot better. Than what, what game he was he watching the other night? I don't know. <laughs> he, he didn't, this was before the game the other night. This was two okay, weeks okay. back. But, you know, and I thought, well, dang, man, you got all these good players there. I mean, just, I mean, just – but, I mean, and you know, you walk in there, they're not going to give you the job. you got to earn it. So, But he, he's a good player, though. i tell you one I was impressed with the other night. We need to find about several Desha- uh, Rashad Evans and make them a spy on when they play these running offenses because when he was in there, they were able to contain the Watson guy pretty good when he was spying on him when he was in there. Or at least I thought he did a good job. Well, there'll probably be some tweaks to the defense against the hurry-up, no-hole, or the athletic quarterback when, with Jeremy Pruitt. Nick Saban doesn't really allow major changes, but I think there'll be some tweaks, and what you just touched on could be one of them. I think that's probably a good point. But, Big C, uh, we're getting ready to wrap up, but we do have time for one more question if you got one. Oh, boy. Um, when are you going to have the party for the national championship? <laughs> the 23rd, Big C. Oh, me. Well, uh, Katie, I'm looking forward to having you on my show tomorrow at 7.45 at jockjive.com. 
and we'll promote the all show tomorrow morning. And uh, it's fun to be national champions again. Yes, Roll it is. Thanks for coming, buddy. All right, thank That's you. Colin Bye-bye. Big C. McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Big C. McGuire. He's a unique person. But uh, you got to have regular callers when you have a show like Bands, and he's, he's definitely loyal. Uh, he enjoys it, and, uh, you know, it, he, a lot, Alabama means a lot to him. He's, uh, yes, it does. He, he's, he's a fun little guy. But anyway, so uh, tired again, everybody, on National Championship number 16, and a great man by the basketball team. I'm going to wrap up this National Championship edition of Bam's Radio. Thank our guest tonight, Chris Wallace, Rod Dior, uh, Paige Hockman. And uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been a good two hours. And it's a great interview that, that Drew did with Redfish. With so for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone and Huntsville Thomas Watts and Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm your co-host, Gary Clark of BamaMag.com. Thank you once again for joining us here on Bam's Radio. National Champs, number 16, Roll Tide, and good night, everybody. Roll Tide Dynasty.